Welcome to another episode of Mental Conversations, a podcast focusing on positive mental health and overcoming the struggles of life. Uh, my name's Chris Sutton, and I'm excited because today, I, I feel like doing a drum roll, uh, I'm joined by Viv Buckland. Uh, Viv is a qualified coach and NLP master practitioner at Coaching and Mentoring Services UK. People might be going, what's NLP? We'll get to that. Um, this is the first of two podcasts, and we're going to focus on NLP today. So thank you for coming in, Viv. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. So jumping straight in, what is NLP? Probably the hardest question you'll ever get in NLP is, what is it? Right, um, okay. It stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, and that is enough to put most people off. Which yeah. is a great shame. Uh, neuro is just about the nervous system. So the nervous system is the way in which we receive information. You mm-hmm. receive information through your five senses. You see, you hear, you smell, you yeah. touch, you feel. Uh, and your brain receives that information. And then it needs a way to deal with it. So then we get the linguistic parts. So that's language. But it's not just the spoken word. Mm-hmm. It's not just the things that you say. It's the things that you used to describe <clears throat> your experiences to yourself. Programming. You could think about it like computer programming. It mm-hmm. is the brain's way of writing code. Um, but instead of something that being something that is... You have to learn. You've been doing it since the day you were born. So right. as you've been experiencing things all of your life, your brain has been coding that mm-hmm. uh, so that it can run simple routines. Your brain receives about two million bits of information every second, and it can't cope with that. Two million? Yeah, yeah, right, okay. yeah, yeah, because if you, um, if you think about all of the things that are going on, mm-hmm. uh, as you're walking down the street and you're looking in the windows of the shops, you might be concentrating on not slipping over on the ice mm-hmm. uh, on a day where you don't notice what's in the window, but it's still there. The information is still coming into your senses. Right. It's just that you don't want to deal with it. So your brain runs a set of codes. Okay. To, so subconsciously. to manage that information. Okay. And some of those uh, strategies for managing the information, some of those habits that we form, are helpful, mm-hmm. and some of them are less helpful. Yes. And NLP is an understanding of how that happens, uh, but it's also a set of processes and techniques and coaching that helps people get rid of the unhelpful strategies that they run. Let's do that. Let's get rid of them. Right. So I, I'll be a guinea pig. And we've got, we've got 28 minutes left. Can you fix me? No. <laughs> no, because fixing you assumes there's something wrong with you in the first place. Right. You know me. You do know me. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, I do know you. Um, but one of the wonderful things, one of the absolutely wonderful things about NLP is it's not judgmental. Right. Okay. There's nothing in that that labels you. Okay. There's nothing that says that you're broken. You are who you are. You behave in the way that you behave. But your behaviours are oh. contextual. They are not you. Okay. They're just a manifestation of the other things, the processes that you're running. And actually you can change some of those and the behaviours are all contextual. So it doesn't label you. You're not broken. Okay. You just have a set of strategies that aren't helpful. Right. And, it's, and so NLP can help you... To identify those and then put things in place to change them. To Quite often it helps you change them without you even worrying too much about labelling them. Right. One of the things about a label is it's, it is something that can feel like you put you in a box. So you might describe yourself as being anxious. I, I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
that if you describe yourself as being anxious, uh, then you might approach all of your life about with, with the sort of well, I'd best be anxious about this, yeah, uh, because that wouldn't be that wouldn't be me otherwise. Yes. Well, that's not true. That's not who you are. It's just a set of programs that are running that are unhelpful programs. So, I, so for example, so um, with this, so with this example, so I um, find even recording these podcasts that if I get someone who walks into the studio and they're puffed up, confident, and or I don't know them very well, I feel that anxiety. I feel that kind of right that's that anxious state if i if someone comes in which quite often happens and they're they're nervous and they'll say to me i'm really nervous about this i am a completely different animal i'm just so much more confident i'm like it'll be fine i'll help you through it and my so my whole world is different depending on how on their state <clears throat> so your world isn't different but your behaviors are different so your behaviors right, are yes. changed in the context so somebody else comes in confident and your behavior uh, uh, drops down into oh wow there's something to be anxious about and that's really interesting yeah. because you're recording these conversations that you want to release onto the world Yes. surely you want someone to come in and be confident but when they come in and be confident it affects your level of confidence Yeah. and yet when they come in and they're, they're anxious what you want to do is to, to help that and mend that for them so, so you project the confidence that they're missing, but uh, you're the same person. You're still Chris. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. I don't, I and mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I don't know if I come across differently, or you know, if people would notice what you know how how I'm feeling, depending on how I'm being or how they're hearing my voice, if you like. Um, but it's more. It, it's like a. It is a feeling within me. So it's how I'm. How it makes me feel. And it's like if I have to step up to look after someone. It puts it almost sends me down a different pathway. I think it does. Um, the The thing about NLP is it it has a number of presuppositions. Uh, they're statements that it puts out there, mm -hmm. and then you can choose to look at them in whatever way that you feel is appropriate. One of those is there are no unresourceful people. There are just unresourceful states. So when you're feeling unresourceful, when you're feeling anxious or nervous. Mm -hmm. That is a an unresourceful state. Not that you are an unresourceful person. I like this. I and really like this. And you can this. change that state, but you're not changing you. You're you're still you. Yes. And 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 the the second podcast we're going to record is going to be around perception versus reality. So I don't know if that's going to go down into that, and we could talk about that. Yeah, a bit that more, that'll maybe. go more into that. Yeah, it's it's um, interesting to start with the language part of it. Start, starting yeah. kind of further up the chain of NLP around. So how do you know what's going on when you work when you when you're coaching someone or when you're talking Ooh, with yeah. someone? Tell me about that. <laughs> um, I'm like a sponge. I want to know. I want to know all these things. It's it, um, it's it's fascinating. Uh, NLP is not really around body language so much as what we call sensory acuity. Mm -hmm. That that's observing the small changes that are happening in somebody's physiology that give you clues as to how they're feeling and what they're thinking. Right, um, and there's all sorts of little bits of sensory acuity. Uh, the way somebody breathes, mm -hmm. the way that you breathe is quite often linked to, say, a rep system, a representational system. So some people are visual, for example. Mm -hmm. Some people are auditory. Mu musicians will often be auditory. Auditory is yeah. not as common as visual. Um, you can often tell a visual person 
because they talk in language about I see what you mean. There's clarity in that vision. I see, they use the word see. Yeah, so you're using words that are about vision. Uh, Auditory people will will talk more about oh, I hear hear your point. Right, okay. Uh, Somebody who's kinesthetic will be I get where you're coming from because it's about movement and feeling. So there's clues in your language but also there's clues in your physiology that tend to go with that language. People breathe in different places. Um, and then and then there's the eyes. Tell me about the eyes. The eyes are wonderful. Yeah, I've heard you talk about eyes before. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, tell me, about, tell me about that. Okay, so the eyes, going back a while, I don't know, probably into biblical times and, and philosophers and uh, the eyes are the windows to the soul. Mm-hmm. I, okay, well, so what, what's that? Um, but your eyes give a lot of clues about what's going on when you're talking to someone. I can't even look at you while we're talking about it. <laughs> it is. As soon as you start talking about it, and, 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 and I'm not a fan you know, of I've worked eyes. with a few people. <laughs> my, my eyes are watering, literally just thinking about it. Well, we've talked about it. Um, your eyes are very hard to, to control. It, it can be done. Um, but you have to be really be concentrating on it. And that's where the, the, the quick flickers and the um, paying really close attention. Mm. In NLP, it's important to pay really close attention to people. Right. Uh, but without making them feel uncomfortable when you're doing it. But with the eyes, the, when you're recalling memories, mm-hmm. we talked a little bit just a second ago about rep systems, yes, uh, yeah. about people being visual and auditory and kinesthetic. So if you're a visual person, when you access a memory, going back to the two billion bits of information a second that are being dumped into your brain, your conscious brain processes may be around about seven of those at any point in time. And everything else is just dumped into the chasm. Seven out of the two. <laughs> wow. Seven of the two. Uh, everything else is dumped into the chasm of the unconscious mind. It's yeah. all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that we don't have a use for it at that point in time. Okay. So when we're trying to remember something, uh, we have to go and fish around for mm. that information. Yeah, that um, makes sense. And that's where the rep systems come in, because if you're a visual person you'll often go and access memories through a picture. So you'd be fishing around for your uh, pictorial memory of something. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, your eyes automatically flick upwards. Right. Should we try it? Yeah. Um, Chris, can I, can I ask you just to think about your first car? What colour was your first car? Uh, green. Green. Okay. Can you imagine your first car as red with purple spots? Uh, I can now. You yes. can now. Okay, so what was happening when we were what talking happened? is Forgive in the first me. question, your eyes were going up, uh, but they were going up and to your right. Oh, okay. sorry, as I'm looking at you, they're going up and to the right. Okay. And what that's telling me is you're accessing a memory, something that is true, something that is real. And you were telling me you had a green car. Yes. When I was asking you if you would imagine that car as a purple car with, was it pink spots? Mm-hmm. Red spots? Red spots. It, it yeah. wasn't something that existed. So you were going to have to create the memory. Yeah. But you're creating a visual memory. But what your eyes did, instead of going up and to the right as I look at you, yeah. they were going up and to the left as I look at you. Okay. So going up one way is about you recollecting something. Right. Going up the other way is about you creating something. 
Now, that could be interpreted as a lie. Yeah, I was going to say, so you could tell if someone was lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the eye-accessing cues, which is what we're talking about, are used by people who do interrogation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's priceless, yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, they are used... Well, but, well because it's universal, that, that is what happens, uh, then you can use them in that way, because if you're asking somebody a question... Uh, watching the eyes going across yeah. to one side of the brain is telling you that something is being constructed. Yes, yeah, now, yeah. It doesn't mean it's a lie, it just means it's being constructed. Yeah, okay. And for one in a hundred people, especially those who are left-handed, uh, then they're probably going to Guantanamo Bay more often. Yeah. Um, because often they're reverse organised, so they've, they, their eyes go the opposite direction to most people. So what's, so in terms of, so that's, um, I mean, it's fascinating that, but what? So, what can it be used for then? How is that used in in terms of for the, for the benefits of mental health? It's uh, it's interesting in the information that it gives because it helps me to understand where you're accessing memories. So, so when we're just talking in general conversation, your eyes are giving me clues as to how you access information. Mm. It is useful for us to have rapport to to establish a relationship, mm. and uh, to do that. The more I understand about you, the more I can connect the see and hear words with the type of words that you would use. Right. And that helps you to feel that we're connected, that we're like each okay. other. But the other thing is, um, when you're working with someone and you're talking, for example, about feelings, we didn't talk about access and cue with feelings. So eyes flick upwards mm -hmm. uh, because your eyes at the top of your head yeah. if you're accessing something visual. They go sort of horizontally out. Uh, because that's where your ears are if you're accessing auditory <laughs> memories. Auditory things, okay. But actually, if they're going down, it's doing one of two things. One is it's either accessing feelings, mm -hmm. your brain is accessing feelings, or it's talking to itself because we do a lot of self talk. That yeah. doesn't mean we're mad, yeah. that just means that we talk internally to that's, ourselves. That's re uh, a relief. I do a lot of that. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm what's known as auditory digital, I, I do lots and lots of that. Mm. Um, if you're chatting to someone, if you're, if you're in a coaching thing, and people are telling you about their feelings, but what they're doing is their eyes are going up a great deal. Mm -hmm. uh, what they're probably not doing is accessing the feeling. What they're doing is they're telling you what they think about that feeling. Right. Uh, but it's keeping them out of the feeling, and there might be a good reason why they don't want to access the feeling. Okay. That it's too strong, it's not something they're comfortable with. Right, that's... Okay, I'm starting to get a, a, oh, I'm visual. I was going to say I'm starting to get a picture. Oh no, I'm no. I've learned something about oh, myself. No. Oh, I see what and you mean. And you told the world. I see oh, what you've done no. there. They're all going to um, oh, Right. Okay. So we learn. We are learning things here. But one of the things, one of the key things that you've hit on there that that's um, kind of sparked something for me, is the is the relationship. So when you're in counselling sessions. There's no two ways about it, and I've spoken to this on previous podcasts, uh, I think with Jerry Andrews in particular, um, about um, how the relationship between you and the, the counsellor or the coach or yeah. the psychotherapist or ho whoever that, you know, the, the therapist is, is so important to how you progress in your, you know, yeah, so if you, you haven't got trust in, in that relationship, then so, you're not going to make progress. So, uh, so, so, if, as someone who is a coach, um, you're able to to use this to kind of to, to build that rapport, to yeah. make that person feel like 
they're in the safe environment, which they are. You know, it is a safe yeah. environment, but they may not be feeling it when they walk in. They needs to be. They need to build that level of trust, and so that's a, a way that you that's can right. do that. Um, in in NLP, one of the things that you spend quite a lot of time learning and making sure that you're getting right in the early stages is deliberately building rapport. Yeah. So rather than you, you know, you you can meet someone um, <clears throat> just in the ordinary course of the day and feel that you've got a connection and that you've hit it off with them. Yeah. And a lot of things happen very naturally when that takes place. You uh, mirror the body language. Mm -hmm. So you tend to find that you, if they're sitting back, you sit back. Yes, okay. Which is just exactly We've just what's done going that. on. Yeah. <laughs> and if they're crossing their legs, you might cross your legs. And if they're yeah. tilting their head, it, it, you're possible that you're going to do the same thing. And in NLP, what you're doing is you're taking it to another stage because you're doing it on purpose. You're mm -hmm. not... It's, you're understanding what occurs naturally, and then you're doing that on purpose to help to form that relationship quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and it also helps you to to lead someone through. Yes. Uh, particularly if you're talking to someone who is struggling with, with feelings or um, with mental health problems, where you're wanting them not to, to get too sucked down into that. You want to be able to lead them. Uh, and you can do that very gently with, with rapport. Right. And all you're yes. doing is using your body language um, and that rapport to help them yeah. to come to a slightly different place. So we were just talking about eyes and and accessing different memories. Yeah. Have you ever heard the expression, damn right miserable? Yeah, <clears throat> of course, yeah. Okay, so your, your eyes are going down and to your right, and yeah. to my left as I look at you, yeah. when you're accessing feelings. Right. Uh, and if you... If you observe next time you're talking to somebody who's feeling very low, mm -hmm. you'll find that their body language reflects that they're feeling low. You can see it. Yes. You don't have to hear them speak. You yeah. can see in there and the way that they stand or they sit and that it's slumped. And their eyes will go down into those feelings. Right, okay. If you want to help someone, uh, very simply, you can actually just get them to move their eyes back about their feelings again and begin to access memories that aren't there. Right. actually get them to think about things that are visual or auditory rather than because your eyes down in the right yeah is about you accessing those feelings and you can help somebody just by moving their eyes i hadn't that i mean that's fascinating in the 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 fact that you can be that you could help to take someone from one state to another state in you know by by noticing that about their their eyes i mean it's just it's so, I, I can imagine that practicing this, it must be such a difficult thing to be able to do, but it must feel quite sensational when you actually do, when you realize you've been able to achieve that. So I'm looking at you now, freaking out a bit, thinking you've probably done this with me. Like, <laughs> like thinking that I haven't even, where I've not even noticed. You might have done it in the last <clears> 10 <throat> minutes. Um, but that's quite, and then the other thing that it made me think, and I know I have asked you often, um, off air I've asked you this question before but can it be used for evil you know like that was, that was one of my concerns one of the things do you remember I asked you I was like wow because it's could you could people use this evil as a strong term because I think your response correct me if I'm wrong was yes people in sales use this <laughs> <laughs> that was my response um, no NLP practitioner would ever use it for, for the wrong reason yeah um, because the presuppositions the whole attitude towards NLP is one of 
curiosity of being non-judgmental and, uh, and about being in a more positive place yeah everything about NLP is trying to take you to a more positive place yeah okay however the understanding um I, don't I, I would separate it from NLP, but it, but actually it's not. And one of the reasons that NLP is maybe not as popular as it could be is that sales world cottoned on to the fact that NLP had learnt things mm. that were about strategies. So we talked a little bit about programming. Your brain runs a set of strategies. Yeah, okay. Um, and as you, you know, as you go to buy something, you know, if you're thinking about buying your car, when you're going in, what you'll have is you'll have a set of criteria that you want from this car. Mm-hmm. And you're going, you're trying to find a car that matches that. But that's about the strategy that you want for the car. What you've actually will have sitting behind that is a buying strategy. Right. Uh, and I recall doing this uh, when I was learning to, to do NLP. Uh, and I was learning about my buying strategy and it was very interesting. Because oh, we were talking about buying a scarf. Okay. It was no big thing. We were talking about buying a scarf. And we were going through the process of, so, so actually, what was my buying strategy? And one of the interesting things that I found was that if somebody speaks to me uninvited during that process of me buying, I walk away. Right. So it's a complete switch off. For you to know that as a salesman mm. would be very valuable. Yeah. Because the last thing you do is come and speak to me unless I invited you to. Yeah. Because there's a part of my strategy that goes, until then, do not speak. Okay. Uh, I don't buy stuff online. It's very rare, very, very rare that I buy anything online. Because a fundamental part of my buying strategy is to be able to touch something. Oh, okay, yeah. So if I can't touch it, I tend not to buy it, so I'm not an online shopper. Mm-hmm. So NLP helps you to understand strategies. And it's really useful because it can help you to change strategies when you're running something unhelpful. Yes, okay. It can help you to, at the more complex end of NLP, to insert more useful elements to that strategy. So, for example, sticking with sales, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're an impulse buyer and you don't have a part of your strategy that assesses value for money, one of the things that you can do with NLP is insert that. To help someone who is an impulse buyer to stop before that final step and actually just do a value for money check. Is it, is it like a? Is there an element of hypnosis in that? Not in that part of it. No, 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 not at all. Um, NLP is really broad and it and it's it's got two quite extreme parts to it. One is what we call meta programs, which is getting to the specifics. So a lot of our language. Uh, deletes and generalizes things and it distorts things mm. so that we can run habits easier. Um, and one of the big things that you want to do in NLP is to help people to change those habits. So we ask a lot of detailed questions that are trying to get underneath the lost information. We're trying to retrieve that information that's been lost, that's been distorted or generalized or deleted out. The opposite end of NLP is hypnosis. Uh, and is Milton model language, right? Which is what's described as artfully vague. Artfully I vague. I know I haven't been hypnotizing you know, all the time. <laughs> I've known you. I've never done that, um, but I think I will. Um, yeah, no. I'm uh, so it's artfully vague. It, it's actually it's doing the quite completely the opposite, and that's because Vandler and Grinder, who back in the seventies developed NLP, mm-hmm. did it by studying people who were experts in their field. So they were studying uh, Virginia Satir. 
uh, Fritz Perls, who were therapists who were remarkably successful. And that's where a lot of the meta-program stuff comes from, the retrieving lost information. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of the sort of therapy work in NLP uh, comes in. They also studied Milton Erickson, who was a very renowned hypnotherapist, was very, very successful at what he did. And neither of those people re- were really able to describe what they did. So mm. what Bandler and Grinder did, one was a linguist, one was a mathematician, was to observe in detail all of those um, sessions that were going on in order to uh, understand the depths of what they were doing and then play that back to them and create strategies which, from which we have NLP. Right. So, so at one end we have hypnosis, which is artfully vague yeah. and is dealing purely with talking to the unconscious mind. Because all learning takes place at the unconscious level. You don't really learn things at the conscious level. Right. You, know, okay. you, have, you have to drop them down into your unconscious, and that's where your learning takes place. And then you draw back from And those. then you draw back. Okay. Uh, easiest example, can you drive? You can drive. You I had a drive. car. We, we, assembled, we yes. established that. You got a green, green. You had a green car. Okay, so when you learned to drive, your conscious mind was focusing on the steering, the mirrors, the gear stick, the brakes accelerator, the clutch control, and you stole the car. Did you you stall the car? I stole the car. I stole the car, yeah. I mean, Um, you say the car, it was called Juanita. Juanita. Juanita the one litre, yeah. I'm not sure if I can discuss stalling Juanita. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) That's probably going a little too far. Um, But as you learnt to do some of those things and they became habits, you no longer thought about them. Yes, okay, yeah. And as you drive the car, you don't really think about clutch control anymore. No. And actually, if you thought about it, you'd probably go back to stalling the car. Yeah. In fact, you could give that a go. Yeah, that's true. That's probably true, yeah. Um, Actually, yeah, when I've spoken to a, re- a recent new, like a very new driver, and they're like, I'm really struggling finding the biting point. And I was thinking, wow, it's a long time since I've even heard the expression biting point. You don't even <laughs> think about it, do you? No, you don't think about it because you've generalised that information and you've dropped that. It's all taken place. Your unconscious simply runs that for you. Right. In fact, you can drive home and um, miss substantial parts of the journey. Yeah, yeah, that's um, true. That's, that's sometimes referred to as a, as a driving trance. That's where actually you've... Because you've, people say, well, so what's hypnosis? Hmm. Well, it's just deep relaxation, really. But actually the driving trance is something that lots of people have experienced where you actually don't really remember what happened, but you know that it all went well yes, because you yeah. haven't crashed. Yeah. That's kind of like hypnosis. Okay. Oh, that's fascinating. It's, I mean, so it, it's something, I mean, I suppose we've just got a few minutes left, and the thing for me is, um, so if someone is struggling with, their, with anxiety or with depression, for example, you know, seeking out an, someone who is an NLP practitioner is a good idea in terms of being able to, you know, having that knowledge that they're going to um, have the skills and the knowledge to try and take you down... Um, you know, build that rapport with you and take you down the right path. Um, but is is that? I mean, I suppose I'm just. I want to ask you the open question. You know, tell me what the real benefits are, so that people can. Because I'm I'm in. I'm listening to you, and I'm like I'm in. But like I don't. I like people to take something away from this, so they so they're thinking um, whether I want to go into this or whether I, whether something else works for me. So. In an, <clears throat> you see what, see what I'm saying? In everyone nutshell. is different. Um, mm. And one of the wonderful things with NLP is everyone is different, and that's okay. Mm. Uh, no, no person uh, ever has a badge with, with NLP. 
<clears throat> you have a set of behaviours, and they are either helpful behaviours or unhelpful behaviours. And you have a set of feelings or states, and they're either helpful or unhelpful. Yeah. And NLP can, an NLP practitioner or a master practitioner can work with you um, to enable you to, to be able to access the state that you want to. Okay. And to be able to change those things. So, so, so yes, it, it can help people with guilt and with anxiety. and with. Uh, it's got a wonderful thing for phobias. Uh, it's very good at phobias, actually. Right, so okay. that's marvellous. Yeah. Um, there are lots and lots of things, and I have watched through my journey of learning mm-hmm. some really remarkable changes in people that have been going through that learning journey as well. Yeah. Um, I first came to NLP because I did a qualification in coaching, and the tutor on that was somebody who was an NLP practitioner, and she she didn't push it down anybody's throats as being the be-all and end-all. But what she did say was it completely transformed my life. I used to suffer with depression. I suffered with depression for years. And learning about NLP completely transformed my life. And I think there's two different things about NLP. You can find a practitioner, and that practitioner will be able to help you. Mm -hmm. You can go on a learning journey with NLP to learn more about it. And that in itself can be very empowering. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Because that's when you said there about being able to... um, change to the state that you want to be in that is such a that to me is like uh, sounds like heaven you know I have lots of states I'm in mm. that I'm not happy to be in I don't enjoy being there and I do know what the state is I'd like to be in but hopping from one to the other is something that I, I struggle to do I heard a wonderful expression the other day where someone said it's like um, in terms of the, uh, the pathways in your mind that it's like um, like your, your mind is a field that's covered in snow or a hill that's covered in snow and you keep going on a sledge so it's got two tracks and you keep going but you keep going down the same bit mm-hmm. and then eventually you think actually I'll go over here but you can't because you've dug two really thick grooves into the snow yeah. and you can no longer move and that really like resonated with me because sometimes I get into a state where I'm thinking wow I, I just wish I could move away from this but NLP and the bits and pieces I've learned about it previously and listening to you is something I'm definitely going to you know be more <clears throat> yeah um, NLP is 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 just exactly about those things and mm. it's about understanding how that groove formed and how you can change it and how you can create a new groove yeah to be what you want it to be um, and depending on who you are and, and how you feel about it the learning journey itself is very is very good if you yeah. imagine um, Surgeons get to practice surgery on somebody else, but they would never practice <laughs> it on themselves. Yeah. In NLP, to become a practitioner or to become a master practitioner, you must both practice and be on the receiving end of all of those things. Right. So yeah. that you know what all of those processes feel like and what those questions do yeah. and how to use them. So you, you learn on yourself, and then what you find is actually you can self-correct an awful lot of things just by the learning that you have. Yeah. So yeah, seek out a practitioner if you, if you want someone to take you on a journey. But actually, if you want to to trudge a new path for yourself, then it's very. Important. But that's that's real. That's a great thing to end on because that's really that's so powerful. Because a lot of people listening to this will be um, relieved. Some people don't want to meet with someone else. You know, it's a very hmm. personal thing to them there, and so to be so to understand that actually, it's such a complicated 
term, neurolinguistic programming, that people are kind of scared of that. But actually how you've described it and the fact that you can go on that journey yourself and that you can do that learning yourself will be really attractive to some people. So It's yeah. very exciting. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Well, um, we have... I told you it would go quickly. I told everyone it goes quickly, but my goodness, it goes quickly, doesn't it? You were so right. <laughs> so let's wrap it up. So, um, Viv Buckland, thank you so much for, for coming into the studio. Um, I'm just going to say this to embarrass you. I have heard people say, it's like... Um, you clearly are really into NLP. You're a master practitioner of NLP. And you have been on your own journey. And I have heard more than one person say, when I grow up, I want to be like Viv Buckland. That is so sad. <laughs> so, so, regardless, um, that can't be a bad thing. That's a good thing for people to take away. Thank so, you. thank you very much for coming in. Thank you, all you lot out there, for listening. And as always, please follow me uh, at mentalcoms, M E N. T-A-L-C-O-N-V-S and another episode of Mental Conversations will be winging its way to you really soon. Thanks, Viv. Okay.